From the city of brotherly love and the great state of Ohio, this is Deadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. So we said, you know, wait a minute. I'm starting to sound like a broken record. Back when we started this podcast, we said that we were going to try to be timeless. And then, well, time we kept with, happening to us, Time sir. kept happening. <laughs> we got hit with a pandemic. And then, well, as we're recording this a week ago today, um, we saw some things that our country hasn't seen before. Uh, you mean the uh, Doritos... Locos tacos and limon flavor. They have a limon flavor. I I don't know. I, they have the Doritos in limon flavor. I'm gonna go do a little uh, internet work after the episode. But okay, um, that wasn't what I was thinking of. <laughs> okay, all right. You were thinking of something else. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, were you just by chance? Were you thinking about the potential violent overthrow of the U.S. federal government by by one arm of the federal government? I I might have been thinking about that. Yes, yeah, it was a, a difficult one to escape uh, last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I found myself uh, on a conference call when all of this, these things started to unravel, and uh, I sort of took the rest of the day. You know, just took a minute to go out and uh, watch everything kind of unfold live on television, and it was while sitting on the couch with my son, who's 13, that it occurred to me that this was going to be a really interesting one for us to parent through, right? Yeah. First off, let's start with your kids are 13 and 9 at this point, right? That is correct. Okay. How would you describe their awareness and understanding of what's happening in uh, uh, in national news right now? So... My children are fairly keyed into some things, uh, partly because of my work and my adjacency to this particular health crisis that we've been living through. Um, you know, we keep up on current events and we try to talk things through and we try to make things understandable. Um, it's a very different talk track for a 13-year-old than for a 9-year-old, I would say. How are they responding? With uh, my daughter, who's nine, she does not particularly like conflict right now. Um, she's going through a phase where that's not her favorite thing. So she didn't watch much of what unfolded. And she's heard about news and she's you know asked a couple of questions. But she's been almost, I, I almost want to say, actively keeping things at arm's reach when these kinds of topics come up. My son, on the other hand, sat there and was watching this on television with me and looked at me dead in the eye and said, dude, this is messed up. And, you know, after a little bit of a chuckle and kind of a, you know, a dude bro moment, if you will. Um, yeah, we had to start talking about some things and we kind of had to talk about how we don't see stuff like this every day. And this isn't really the way this is supposed to go. This was supposed to be one of the most boring functions of the legislative body of the government. And suddenly it wasn't. How much do you feel like he's kind of internalizing this, worrying on it? How much of that are you seeing? I don't think I see a lot of necessarily worrying on it, but I do see him kind of trying to process it. What I think is very interesting is that for a kid his age, he's trying to square what he actually saw on live television 
with what he's hearing, let's say, a week later as they are setting up votes for impeachment uh, round two. He's trying to square what people are saying with what he saw, and they don't work for him. So there's a dissonance there, and we've been talking through that. I don't think it's – again, I don't think it's something that's necessarily forcing him to lose sleep. But he has realized, again, (laughs) that he's living through a rather exceptional set of circumstances, unfortunately. And and his confusion at the gap between what people are saying and what they're doing, he's not alone. <laughs> no, he's not. I mean, I'm having the same problems myself. But uh, and and, uh, and dude, this is messed up. Is a pretty accurate read of the situation. <laughs> I've got high hopes for him as a commentator. I mean, I think he could go on the nightly news with that. Um, <laughs> So, for, but speaking at it, you know, maybe from from your perspective, your children are older. Um, you know, your your son is out in the world. Uh, your your daughters are both um, in different schooling situations. So what are we? What are things like at your place? We haven't talked tons about it actually, which is which is interesting because um, from the moment that George Floyd was murdered in May and the, and the Black Lives Matter protests began like kind of immediately thereafter, um, we were right in the thick of that conversation, uh, in, in our household, in our family, my daughters who are both living at home, they felt very strongly about the need to participate in the protests last summer. Uh, and it's not to say, it's not to say that, that they feel any differently now. I think part of it is that for people who felt moved to protest last summer, there's, there's not a clear thing to do right now. The response hasn't coalesced just yet. It is kind of a different animal maybe at, at that age and coming at it with a more adult perspective. Yeah. And I would say, and I would say related to that, that I think one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things parenting at this stage is they have a willingness to put themselves in harm's way um, for what is right that I admire a great deal. And I also struggle to accept as their parent. Sure. So, you know, going and protesting and stepping up for the rights of your fellow citizens, that is the most noble thing that you can do as an American. It is something that we take great pride in is our, uh, our ability to exercise those freedoms at the same time, uh, as a dad watching the news over the last year, year plus, um, the idea of my daughter getting hit in the face with tear gas, like a canister of tear gas, that's not very exciting to me. I, I have to admit, I, I think I would be conflicted about that too. And, you know, and, and last summer it led to some really funky moments like, you know, like me, me saying to Maria, here's my painting respirator, which, you know, has been sitting in a little box in the garage. I have, I haven't used it in a while, but you might find it helpful. Um, and saying to Anna when she wanted to go out uh, in with, you know, with the protests and be a medic, let's get you like a skateboard helmet, um, you know, so that you've got, you've got some head protection because, you know, one of the things if you're working as a medic is that you you are probably going to be looking away from the action, uh, which increases the risk that, you know, you're going to take something to the head that you didn't see coming. I can't remember a time when I've had those kind of conversations with my kids. It was definitely one of those, okay, so we're doing this kind of moments of parenting. I'm so proud of them. I believe 
in what they believe in. And I hope if and when I, I'm called upon that I have the same kinds of courage, you know, when, when you've had when you've had a catch in your throat, putting your kid on the school bus to go to kindergarten, which is like really an objectively safe activity. <laughs> this is in a whole other place. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. And and that's just it right now. I'm at the imagining that phase because, again, at the age they are now, it's more about trying to process these events and put them into some kind of perspective. And maybe that's where I'm struggling is I feel like um, very real history is being written around us right now. I want to make sure that I'm helping them make sense of that in a way that's going to stick with them. Because there are things that we're seeing now and have seen since, you know, the March of 2020 or January of 2020 that we don't ever want to see again. We're, we're being taught a very harsh set of lessons and I really want them to walk away remembering that a, we got through it. That's the part we're still kind of working on, but we got through it and that B, we did it by coming together as a community, by working together, by doing what was right and sticking to the things that we know are important. Um, I've been going back many, many times with uh, my son and my daughter, both to what is essentially the most important part of the scout oath, which, you know, maybe we're getting a little corny here, but to help other people at all times. It doesn't say to help people when it's convenient or to help people when you've got a little extra time in the afternoon. It's at all times. I want them to remember that and I want them to see that I'm trying to apply that as we're in motion now and to help them understand things and to have us you know, come together and maybe work through it in a way that's going to be meaningful to them later. I don't expect either one of them to write a history book, but you know, as my son said, this is going to be one of those where they look at me and say, "Hey, Grandpa, what it was like? What was it like living through the uh, <laughs> the end of twenty twenty into twenty twenty one? Like, yeah, that is going to be something someone will ask." Yeah, and I, and I think just just thinking more about the processing, right? Um, another difference for my kids uh, at their ages compared to your kids is. My son is working full time. You know, my daughters are in school full time. And um, of course, you know, we've all seen these things, these tweets that people are writing about, uh, uh, you know, how worrying about your productivity during an attempted coup is like the most American thing ever. <laughs> um, but I, I do think there's a I think there's a struggle for for my guys of, you know, how much am I paying attention to this? How much, are, you know, do I, do I, am I, do I keep going to school? Am I still, is school still a thing? Am I, you know, in, in, in that way, in that way, the last week or so has felt like the beginning of lockdown. Um, you know, when, when the rule book went out the window and it took some time for us to catch up to that. And, and in the in-between time, it was like, I don't know what we're supposed to do here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my days. Um, there is no normal. So, you know, so now what? To your point, what do we do? Is this our normal schedule? Is this what we do now? And as we're moving forward and as we do have a, a transition of power, what is that going to look like in a month? And are we ever going to be able to say with a straight face that 
the business of the country is in fact routine, that there is something that's normal about it. We've seen that it's not. It is actually quite extraordinary, and our streak was is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. My my wife has an expression uh, that she's used for a long time. Uh, you can't unpeel a banana. Um, you, you know, there there are some bananas that got peeled in this process that that just can't be unpeeled. Um, yeah. It's just how it is. And you know, and I think and I think we've talked over the last year about how powerful the wish for normal is in our lives. The pandemic has really shown us that people want so badly for things to be normal, right? And going after that will tell themselves all kinds of, you know, kind of little lies. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, uh, it's okay for me to eat in a restaurant. Um, you know, it's okay for me to keep going to church and singing. No, it's not. Um, I know why you like those things. I like those things, but no, it's not okay. And it's just super hard for people to accept because if you've been on a path where you're just doing the same thing every day and you haven't really given thought to it and it seemed fine and then suddenly you can't, um, you know, that, that could, that turns to staring into the abyss real quick. And I, I think, I think a lot of our, a lot of our friends and neighbors may not be well equipped for that. And it's not their fault. I mean, it's just the way we live. Yeah. And I, I don't think any of us are necessarily equipped. And we're talking and this is a, a week old. You know, as of today, uh, the president of the United States is being impeached for the second time. And you've got National Guards sleeping in the Capitol building. These aren't things that we see. And I don't think it's um, – I, I don't think it's reasonable for either of us to say, you know, we're we're living through it, we're getting through it, we're doing this, we're doing that. Um, I I got to ask you, how are you coping with this? What is it that you're doing to keep yourself ticking through the clock of the day? Um, it happens. I'm working on something very intense uh, in my professional life at the moment. You know, that's an interesting mix. I set a rule for myself I may have talked about in the podcast before. I set a rule some months back uh, inspired by um, somebody I saw online. Um, I really try to go for no new news after seven in the evening, you, you know, just so I can let my fight or flight response subside enough that I can get some sleep. Right. I have access at the moment to a place where I can take a warm soaking bath uh, at night for about 15, 20 minutes before bed, which is just, which is by the way, a great thing. Like it seems it does something with your circulatory system where it really primes your body for falling asleep. And I am like, I am like falling asleep like a champ. I'm tossing and turning in the middle of the night, but the beginning of it's good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to do things like, I, you know, I'm trying to avoid the urge to stress eat. I'm trying to avoid the urge to you know, skip out on some of the, some of the daily self-care stuff, uh, that's important. I, I think one of the other things that, that is helping me is I'm thinking a lot right now about, you know, I started a project last spring when lockdown began called hope notes. I was sending out an email newsletter, um, just, you know, giving people some guaranteed good news, uh, in their, in their inboxes at a time when there was very little good news to go around. And that, you know, that has evolved over time. And these days I'm thinking a lot about, um, I want to, I want to tell stories about what life could be like, uh, in a good way on the other side of what we're living through. 
So I want to tell stories about, you know, life during the third reconstruction, you know, which, which I sincerely believe is, is where all of this is leading as hard as it is right now. I think that an important reckoning is happening, has to happen if we're all to survive um, this moment in American history. It's my belief that we will come through on the other side, having unlocked something really important uh, about, you know, what we are as a nation and what we want to be. It just feels achingly hard to get from here to there. And so, like I say, I've been drawn in recent days, I've been drawn to the idea of, you know, telling some stories, some fiction stories about what that future world could be like. That's what I know how to do. I certainly look forward to seeing some of that, if that's something you're going to share. Oh, thank you. I I hope too. Yes. Yes, indeed. And how about for you, sir? I started a practice. Oh, I called it a practice, didn't I? Uh, Right after the new year of taking Nacho for a walk at lunch. And I've blocked my calendar for the noon hour for the first time in my professional career, probably in I don't know how many years. And he reminds me every day when it's time. So it's not, there's no getting out of it. There's no you know, scheduling it out. Got to go do it. Hang and, on. Hang on. Uh, is, is Nacho your child? No. Nacho is my beagle. I yes. See. I should be, we should be clear about that. Uh, yes. Nacho and I go out and we take our walk. Something that I've noticed in the last week or so, there are more people walking their dogs at noon. Um, I know that there are a yeah. bunch of us that are working from home now and – Everybody seems to be almost, I don't want to say that I'm not a trendsetter, but perhaps I'm tapped into a greater zeitgeist. No, I, I'm just throwing words out now. But <laughs> if, uh, if there were a trend to be a part of, the noon dog walk is certainly not the worst one. Um, and I, I, I will say something that might make sense to some people and might be totally anathema to others, but I had a, quite a commute uh, to my job back in 2001. And in the weeks after uh, the attacks of 9-11, the commute was very different. Um, you didn't see any road rage. Uh, you didn't see people speeding. It was it was very, very strange. Um, going to the grocery store, you know, those people that walk with their carts in the middle and leave them in the middle and then wander around and fill their cart while their cart is in the middle and they are not moving and staying out of the way? Yeah. Those people, they, they evaporated. They didn't exist for a while. Um, <laughs> and I'm getting an eerily similar vibe in the interactions that I have with my fellow dog walker folks, because I'm not talking about seeing one or two people. I'm talking about seeing like on the order of 20 people every day as I walk my dog in this, you know, mile plus loop up around, you know, where I live. But I've been doing a lot of that. I've been taking long walks. We've been doing a lot of hiking on the weekends. We the last uh, last weekend we hiked a good number of miles with the kids and without. Um, so it's been one of those things where I find that if I'm out and I'm moving, I'm I'm feeling better. And then I get back to the house. I can sit down and kind of get back to what I was doing. And it's a chance to sort of pause and stop the streams of information and stop stop moving for a minute while in motion. And I think that kind of makes sense to most folks, but that makes good sense. And and it's really striking as you say that you're, you're seeing so many other people who are doing the same thing. I mean, it, it's, 
it's logical uh, in January in the north to do the walk at noon rather than, you know, uh, 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 when you first wake up or at bedtime. Right. Like, oh, the, sure. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's kind of safer <laughs> in an icy place to but do yeah, it like that. That's a lot of people who are who are taking part. And I know what you mean about the, the post 9-11 things stopped. And I think and I think it's part of what we what we were deprived of. In the lockdown, we were having this collective experience, but we had to be alone. And and after 9-11, what I remember was that we'd had this collective experience and there was a kind of feeling of of togetherness that was in it. And I think that feeling of togetherness is is ultimately what's going to get us past the worst of this moment and into a better place in the future. So let me let me ask you let me ask you this, JC. Just just uh, with um, as we as we round the clubhouse turn uh, on the home stretch of this uh, of this meditation. What are your hopes and dreams for this year? A real light question. I think if I had to pick something for this year, it's that my family comes through this in a healthy way, it both physically. We, we really want to avoid this bug. Um, and you know, emotionally, uh, this has been a very draining year. 2020 was long and it was um, a challenge for everyone I knew, certainly within our little family and all the change that we've had. It's had its bright moments, certainly, and it's been a challenge. And I, I do hope that we come out of that looking back on it and saying, you know what? That was actually not that bad. And here's where we are today. And where we are today is fantastic. And what about you? Yeah. What are you thinking for 2021? I'm thinking of two things. One of them is whatever lessons we're supposed to be learning right now, I hope we can get on with learning them. Um, because, you know, the, the Groundhog Day loop is starting to get a little old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so that's a thing. And then, and then I feel like I feel like one of the things, one of the things that's kind of a big theme in this phase of my life, um, especially as my kids are becoming adults, um, you, you know, we, we have to go through the experience. We have to live with healthy boundaries psychologically with other people. And we have to redraw those boundaries from time to time. You know, I mean, with all the, with all the, with everything happening around us, um, you know, maybe talk of redrawing boundaries kind of feels scary or, uh, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Foreboding. But what I actually mean to say is that you have to redraw boundaries in your relationships. Esther Pearl, who's a, who's a marriage therapist talks about, you know, you don't have, if you've married for life, you don't have one marriage, you kind of have three or four, um, mm -hmm. because you go through phases together and you have to, you have to, you know, kind of live that phase. I've always felt like parenting is like that. I'm a very different parent of young adults than I am as a parent of toddlers. And a big part of that is just the redrawing of boundaries in the relationships. Um, I think we have a profound imbalance um, as a society in in the way that we've drawn the boundaries for ourselves, uh, you know, between the individual and community and and all the, the ways in which we think about our duties to each other. Um, and so my hope for this year is that is that we all make some headway in, you know, understanding that differently and getting to a better place. We're going to go ahead and close out. Uh, and then um, we have a little bit of an unusual thing. As JC was talking about that, that feeling of what it was like post 9-11, I mentioned to him that uh, off, off to the side that, um, that it reminded me of a poem uh, that I'd like to share with, uh, with our listeners. So um, we're going to go ahead and close out the podcast, but then you'll hear me um, at the very end reading a poem called Gift of Days by Marty Johnson. 
We'd like to hear your stories of how you're making it through uh, these very challenging times. You can give us a call on the on the deadline at plus one four one two six eight four dads. That's area code four one two six eight four three two three seven. Our operators are tucked away safely in secure locations and won't be answering the phone, but you can leave a message and we'll pick it up. And please remember to subscribe to Dadline wherever it is you get your podcasts. Remember, every time you subscribe, history gives us a minute. And so here is the poem Gift of Days by Marty Johnson. Get over it. There's a tear in the fabric of forever, and it's just the way it is. God didn't tap you on the back because you were a bad girl and today you pay for it. You did nothing wrong. It wasn't all the walks you didn't take or Irish luck that tossed you headlong into cancer. Consider this a wake-up call and live your gift of days with joy. Walk the edge where the air is thin and clear, where fear can take you further. It's just another country. Chin up. Step through the door, each breath in a miracle, each breath out a letting go.